four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! And Happy New Fear. Start 2019 off right with the first ever Haunted Heart live show. That's right. Live and in the flesh. At Dangerous Pies, D.C. at 8 p.m. on January 11th, 2019. Come and hang out with us as we eat pie and we talk some spooky shit. And we find out exactly what makes the pies so dangerous. Ooh. Suspicious. Wait, that's my line, bitch. (laughs) We're mixing things up with this live recording, guys. So if you're in the area or if you can be in the area, be sure to come out, hang out with us. January 11th, 2019 at 8 p.m. We're probably going to do a bar meetup later. So shoot us a message. Let us know if you can uh, join us. And we are looking forward to it. And now, on with the show. I am so excited. It is a new year. Uh, bitch, it's a new year. It's the same old cunt y'all been dealing with. That's true. I ain't, ain't even faking the shit this changed. year. Nope. I'm not faking it. Look, I'm husky. I'm a problem. <laughs> it ain't changing. <laughs> and we move on. Same thing. I mean, I'm still I'm still going to be still a husky. Mm-hmm. Uh, still mean as fuck. Mm-hmm. Still stubborn. We still recording this episode last minute. Damn down, sure, down last minute. To the down wire. to the wire. Honey, when I tell you, we are on that wire. We are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, did something exciting, actually. You celebrated uh, uh, the new year in Times Square. I did, girl. I was up in the VIP. That's fun. Yo girl was there. Meanwhile. She showed up and showed out, walked past all those plebs. And honey, you know, <laughs> shitting on it too. <laughs> nah, it was fine. I felt really bad for everybody who was there who was like crammed into the like, uh, like the general area because there are so many fucking people there. They walked me in behind this like rapper guy who was supposed to be famous and he was really funny because he was just like lumbering along. Uh, it was just, it was good. You had to be there. Anyway. I was, I, anyway, I was here eating uh, uh, brie. I had a nice Hell spread yeah. of brie uh, with a spicy plum chutney. Mm-hmm. Some It looked good as fuck too, girl. Guac. Mm-hmm. Potato skins, mm-hmm. and I was living my best husky. Fat See, I couldn't, life. I couldn't eat or drink past noon because they don't have any bathrooms in Times Square. Just piss right there. No, it was already no. wet. No, I, there's like people, and also like I just can't be. That's a whole new level for me pissing. I'm like, well, let's be honest. If I had some, I would probably piss publicly in front of a million people, but <laughs> I need to get paid for it. Is the thing, mm. <laughs> you know? Okay, I can't do it for free. Another another Patreon tier that <laughs> yeah. we'll work on. <laughs> that we're working like on we for the new do, year. I I almost want to make a Patreon joke about if you want to see if you want to watch me piss, <laughs> message us. But Listen. I'm I'm afraid that someone will message us, and we being the uh, 
starving artists that we are, <laughs> we will accept this. Listen, we're getting into whole new levels here. That's another in 2019. podcast. That's, a, that's another podcast. <laughs> but some things, no, we will not be doing that. Uh, but unless, we, I mean, <laughs> unless give you're us your it. offer, unless you're into it, we're not. I mean, hey, are you? We're 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 joking. Unless you're serious. <laughs> unless you're, everything. Let me tell you what, baby. I'm gonna tell you something. My mama told me when I was very young. Everything has a price. This is true. Even us. Especially us. <laughs> Which you can find out our prices if you go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Haunted Heart, that is. And we are so fucking close to our next Patreon goal. Yes. So we will be going, we will actually uh, at some point uh, in 2019 be delivering you some extra content because it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We're almost we, there. We are so almost. I think we're like, the last time I checked, I think we're like $28 away uh, from our next goal of $300 a month. And once we have that level of support, we will be able to produce extra episodes for you guys. So you'll get two, at least two extra episodes a month. So you'll get our four regular episodes that come out every week. And then you'll get two like full length bonus episodes uh that will be kind of like their own thing but if you like the episodes that we did like all up in those horror guts those types of series you will probably really be into those uh bonus episodes so totally if you haven't checked out the patreon please go check it out we really 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 um appreciate the support there and there's a bunch of cool like merch benefits and shit like that that you get yes and speaking of that i am so excited 2019 is going to bring you guys more merch Mm -hmm. like there's a bunch of stuff in the works but uh it's going to be like we're going to expand on a lot of things uh we're going to continue to grow the podcast and we are so excited we are so ready um once katie like is settled with her life we will we'll be there (laughs) we will be oh my god we will be ready oh my god don't make it that honey because katie is no katie's life is far from settled no uh what he means is once i'm done with school and shit in like early February. So my New Year's will really honestly, truly be like February 4th. And then I'll be like, fuck yeah, bitch. New Year, new me. Mm -hmm. And that is an excellent segue into what we are talking about today. But first, we have our first patron of 2019. We do. We do. So we are doing a candle lighting invocation today for Christina H who is our new cannibal cult member cannibal cult fuck yeah and Christina, we are so thankful to you for your support and thank you so much for helping to get us closer to that next goal so that we can bring you guys extra content extra bullshit extra trash talent extra fuckery so we are sending love light happiness health wealth in the new year Anything you may be needing or looking for, um, we're so happy to have you as part of our family, and thank you so much for the support. Yes. And your candle is burning brightly right beside my mic, and I'm not going to gesticulate wildly and knock it over because I love you, girl. Yes, and that candle will be burning at least through the episode, but always, always and forever uh, in our dark, dark hearts. Dark like your leaking basement, perhaps. Where the spoon liquor lies. (laughs) (laughs) 
So now, Katie, why don't you, uh, what are we, what are we, well, I guess, should I talk about what we're talking about today, or should you talk about what we're talking about Bitch, today? I don't know. One of us is going to have to. One of us is do going we, to have to. Do we have to? I think we do. So listen, there's the obligatory, you see it, new year, new me, you see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, you know, not judging, but totally judging. Um, I just don't believe in that bullshit. Yeah. But a fun twist, oh, we wanted a twist. <laughs> uh, on that, we thought it would be fun. Uh, well, I guess not fun. That's kind of disrespectful. Why? We thought it would be, because <laughs> we're talking about disassociative Kenny, identity sorry. disorders. I'm sorry. And people actually suffer from that. <laughs> I'm. So, it's debatable. We'll talk about it later. I'm sorry. Did you say that you were going to be disrespectful? On this podcast? Uh, maybe. Disrespectful? Maybe. Here? Just a little bit. This is the most respectful. <laughs> most child-friendly. Most... Wholesome. Podcast. <laughs> the most podcast. <laughs> well, no, you filled in my blank. But, but then the it sounded... Wholesome. The most podcast. Of all the podcasts. We are the most. <laughs> In many ways, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The most garbage. Uh, no, yes, dissociative identity disorder. Formerly um, known as multiple personality disorder. True, true. Um, now, you say that uh, people actually suffer from that. So, you well, first you, I want to talk this about the movie. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> science first like, <laughs> i want to talk about the movie we both love split and i just want yes. to say this because we couldn't have an episode on um this disorder did uh and not mention our girl patricia patricia i love me some patricia if you guys haven't seen the movie split you need to see it now james mcavoy is incredible he's a lovely actor he is very talented and his personality named patricia <laughs> Is so 110% me, honey. (laughs) It's me when I am so frustrated, but in a situation where I cannot go slam the hell off. And so I have to like connect with that. And I'm sure that you, you women out there feel me. When you have to connect with that deep, uh, wellspring of peace in your soul you have to reach deep down into your yoni and pull it up girl and just try to hold on hold the fraying ends of your fucking sanity together so that you don't just like fucking end up murdering somebody and going straight the hell to prison yeah um and that is patricia and i understand her i understood her immediately if you haven't seen it you must see it and the um third one is coming out glass that, that, yeah yeah, because yeah. it's split, and then I forget what the first one was. Split was actually the second. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know jack shit about that that yeah. entire series. It's like some just, sort of like it's not a superhero universe, but it's like a comic universe. I think. And I don't split know. was part of it. Glass is coming out January 18th. I don't know. I'm just they excited for us, more though, Patricia. So. I'm excited for Patricia, Patricia, and her uh, her um, paprika. paprika. It's called paprika. In it. <laughs> God bless it. 
Love her. Patricia in her turtleneck sweaters. And skirts. Uh, as played by James McAvoy. I'm telling you, you think you think you know, you don't. Go see it. Um, <laughs> so I think listen, it's on Netflix, actually. I think so. So most wrong. of us have experienced uh, mild disassociation. <laughs> disassociation? Most of the listeners of this show certainly have. Yeah. So it's kind of like, so what they mean when they say mild dissociation, which it's it's like daydreaming. Uh, getting lost in the moment mm-hmm. uh, or whatever, which I am so guilty of. I saw that and I was like, fuck, am I like, am I, I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I just break away and I'm a little concerned because we know I'm the werewolf of the two of us. So I'm like, that's true. What if you did have an alter ego? One day I just see you shopping in Pottery Barn. Well, we'll, d- <laughs> we'll discuss <laughs> and that I'm at like- the end of the episode. <laughs> We'll go into our alter egos at the end of the episode. So oh, if you are want to we? listen, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. However, dissociative identity disorder is a severe form. It's a mental process which produces a lack of connection in a person's thoughts, their memories, their feelings, their actions, or sense of identity. Uh, the disorder is thought to stem from a combination of factors that may include trauma experienced by the person with the disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, the dissociative aspect is thought to be a coping mechanism, essentially. Mm-hmm. The person literally dissociates uh, themselves from a situation or experience that's too violent or traumatic or painful um, to assimilate within their own conscious self. Mm-hmm. So lots of trauma going on. Um, in the 19th century, however, uh, that time of... Uh, uh, good medicine (laughs) (laughs) um it was called a double consciousness and that was sort of like the historical precursor um to the disorder and it was frequently described as a state of sleepwalking Mm -hmm. which we know you're prone to Mm -hmm. so we got something going on here i'm a little concerned (laughs) um with scholars uh, hypothesizing that the patients were switching between a normal consciousness and a somnambulistic state. Somnambulistic? Somnambulistic. Isn't that just the most beautiful bullshit word you ever heard? I think it's it's literally, <laughs> it means like a hypnotic state. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So listen, I'm going to get, I'm going to dig us uh, pretty deep here. Okay. All right. I'm going to throw it back. Get, okay. Let's throw back. Tuesday? Wind wind up. (laughs) Um, So remember when we talked about how in the early 19th century, a few episodes ago, that like mysticism and Mm -hmm. occultism Mm -hmm. was kind of like the trendy It was all the rage. It was all the rage, honey. I went to a seance last week and it was divine. (laughs) Well, people who were hypnotists at the time reported witnessing multiple personalities coming through and wondered how the fuck more than two conscious minds could exist in the same body. Now, why could you is the that? why is the line two though? Well, that's what they were witnessing at the time. Mm-hmm. Was two mm-hmm. that actually gets that's actually uh, kind of important a little later on. Okay. Um, but could you just imagine like you're at a you're at a party, right? No, and you I got can't. the local I can't hypnotist actually there. That. No, me neither. <laughs> Fuck a party. You, but think about a, think about an occultist <laughs> party, party with a hypnotist there, uh, and you've got this bitch who's just in the chair. Then all of a sudden, she starts like acting like you don't know her. She didn't knew her. 
<laughs> it doesn't seem. Oh, she's got brand new. She got brand new real quick. Literally. She really did. So this uh, obviously started becoming a hot button topic, if you will. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, medical professionals held numerous conferences to discuss dissociation. Now, I'm going to give these doctors the benefit of the doubt and say that this wasn't an excuse to have an opiate-fueled sex party. (laughs) (laughs) But who knows? Because we also know opiates were all the rage as well. True. (laughs) It's interesting how those things go hand in hand. (laughs) For real. Now, it was during this climate that our guy, Jean-Martin Charcot, came up to bat. He is now known as the fodder. fodder. <laughs> oh, man. You were killing it. Fodder. I was spellbound. The fodder. <laughs> the fodder. He is known as the, what a, fuck it. He's known as the fodder. He's known as daddy. <laughs> the daddy. He's the daddy the of daddy. modern day neurology. Okay. I'm with uh, it. Or also known as the Napoleon of neuroses, which I personally love. <laughs> That's really good. I um, have uh, had an ex that called me that. (laughs) Actually. And he would have been correct. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he came up with the idea of hysteroepilepsy. Now, hysteria and epilepsy had already been discovered by then. Uh, So when uh, this dude made this claim, one of his students, a Joseph Babinski... Gave him major side eye. Because it's like, we already know about hysteria. Because that was kind of like a blanket term for literally any fucking mental problem. Oh, yeah, then. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they we used to treat it with uh, with vibrators. Yeah. So if a woman was acting in any way uh, like a fucking human, um, <laughs> she would go to the doctor. And they would, uh, in some cases, they would give you a vibrator to take home. And in some cases, they would like... Just get you off right there in the office, which personally, (laughs) there are a lot of things about like the 19th century that can stay the hell there. But um, there are some things that we could go ahead and bring to the 21st century, because if I could make an appointment for that. I'm a little concerned with how you're moving your finger right now when you're saying that, because I'm like, if "Eh." I could make (laughs) you guys can't see, but she is doing a gesture with her finger that I am uncomfortable with. If you can make an appointment for that. It would negate like 75% of the use of Tinder. Well, You know true. what I mean? And then people could find love. True. So he was a little suspicious. Babinski was? <laughs> yes, because he thought that uh, this guy was diagnosing people with very uh, relatively minor concerns uh, with this disease. And once he convinced them that he had this disease, he'd invite them to, you know, be studied with his other patients Uh in his women's mental facility. Okay. (laughs) Are we getting raped? That's what's happening there. More than likely, but I'm not going to Is that substantiated in any way? No, I didn't find anything. All right. But it was a women's facility. So we just made that up. (laughs) Yeah, we did just make that up. Okay. Sorry. Maybe. We did it for the laugh, if if you were there. But... (laughs) God, we're fucking terrible. No different than 2018. That's a rough one. I don't know if we're going to win them back after that one. (laughs) Anyway. Starting the new year strong. Babinski noticed that the longer the relatively healthy patients stayed cooped up in old Charcot's psych ward, 
the more unstable they became. Well, yeah, because psych wards back then were like, they fucking literally atrocious. just, yeah, they just chain you to a wall in a dark room and just fucking leave you there. Yeah. So Not Babinski surprising. started an experiment where he separated the patients, did a form of counter suggestion, gave them the dick. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We have again, to stop hitting the dick. <laughs> again, <laughs> we have to. totally unclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta stop. <laughs> Uh, to help undo the damage and completely ignored what he thought to be fake hysteroepileptic symptoms. Oh, but he, uh, there might have not been any dick action, but there was some shock therapy. So uh, mm, eh. it wasn't the fun kind either. It no, wasn't the, not the vibrator yeah. kind, the kind that really fucks you up. Yeah. Um, it wasn't electricity play. <laughs> No, uh, but he was eventually proven right. The patients began to react differently, and as such, Babinski was able to weed out who was actually uh, experiencing the disease. Hmm. Now, this was a huge fuck up on Charcot's part, <laughs> uh, because this really put a dent in all of the work that he had laid down uh, by himself, and even more so for one of his more uh, premier students, if you will, a Pierre Genet, who is known as one of the founding fathers of psychology and was also very important in the furthering uh, of the idea of the connection between dissociation and trauma. And he actually had a very interesting um, uh, case here. So, like many modern researchers in the field, Genet first encountered dissociative phenomena in the form of a remarkable patient, Lucy. His initial psychological experiments with Lucy demonstrated that she could perform several actions and perceive a number of sensations, apparently unconsciously. While in this somnambulistic state, hmm. there's that word again, Janae suggested that she could come to see him again in eight days. Once out of the trance, she neither, she neither remembered this nor any other aspect of the hypnosis. She did, however come to see him on the appointed date. Janae also instructed Lucy in automatic writing while under hypnosis. He then succeeded in having her do this when not in hypnosis. He would have someone else distract her attention while he softly suggested in her ear uh, that she take a pencil and paper and write. And while Lucy concentrated on the conversation with the third person, her right hand answered Janae's questions. The resulting text was signed, Adrian. Adrian! Adrian! Rocky! Adrian! Rocky! Hey, where's your hat? I love you! I love you! I love you! So, in this way, Janae discovered that it was Adrian who remembered the post-hypnotic suggestions and carried them out. Later, when Lucy appeared at her doctor's uh, in response to a suggestion, Janae, who was also present, established that she was hallucinating that she was at home. Through this automatic writing, Adrian let Janae know that she had come at his instigation and that Lucy knew absolutely nothing about it. Hmm. She was anesthetic over her entire body. When Janae pinched her arm hard, she showed absolutely no reaction. Um, later, Janae discovered yet another altered state of consciousness between Lucy and Adrian and remarked that Lucy's consciousness seemed to be composed of three parallel streams you got a lucy one a lucy two and a lucy three also called adrian hmm. 
When Lucy 1 was hypnotized and entered the first stage of somnambulism, the first dream was interrupted and Lucy 2 appeared. In this state, Lucy 2 not only had memory uh, for the periods in which she was predominant, but also for everything Lucy 1 had experienced. Hmm. In the third stage, the stream of Lucy 2 was interrupted and Lucy 3, Adrian, appeared. And she was able to remember experiences from all three personality states. Mm. Okay, so Adrian can remember everything. She can remember everything. Okay. Lucy 3 represented the total and complete individual consciousness. In the integrated third state, she neither exhibited anesthesia, 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 okay, nor unconscious actions. She also retained memories of a traumatic event that occurred at the age of seven, and which Genet believed to be responsible for her condition. Mm. Now, while she was on holiday when she was little, two men apparently hid behind a curtain and terrified her. And apparently that, like, split her into, like, three personalities. I don't know. That seems a little extreme to me. Yeah. Um, but it does connect back to some form of trauma, mm. which uh, is sort of where we're at in the modern day uh, definition of what they believe causes this uh, dissociation. Now, I've, I've, uh, that does seem to be a common strain, like that there's some sort of traumatic event that causes a splintering um of personalities Mm -hmm. if you could call it that or consciousnesses um but from what reading i did it seems that dissociative identity disorder is kind of nowadays looked upon as maybe not as firm a diagnosis as it was perhaps considered in the past it seems like a lot of people now it's very skeptical um and the amount of confirmed cases are I say confirmed in like quotes, uh, that's like very, very low number, like five or six can yeah. quote unquote confirmed cases of this. And that actually is kind of what happened because you had these people and they were doing these studies like Janae. So when this came out that uh, all of uh, Charcot's sort of um, patients mm-hmm. weren't really, you know, dealing with this, it mm-hmm. sort of became this people sort of looked at him as kind of like a fraud Mm. um and in the public eye it really sort of down um down the popularity Mm -hmm. of it all and then so after that point it sort of became a little um you know people didn't care about it as much i think Mm -hmm. people moved on from um they moved on from uh dissociate dissociation to like schizophrenia mm-hmm. so like then that became popular mm-hmm. and that became the trend i mean a real disease yeah 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 so they moved on to that <laughs> to a real disease um god i really hope we don't just <laughs> lose all of lose our all of our followers yeah, this episode. it's fine so but that brings up an interesting point because in cases like today how that like how that relates to criminal defense Mm-hmm. So, because we've talked a little bit about, like, getting off on, uh, well, yes, we've talked about getting off, but <laughs> we've talked about getting off, but getting off on, um, what's the term, Katie? Uh, insanity. <laughs> In- Criminally insanity. insane. Yeah, Criminally an insanity insane. Clear. And how sort of iffy that can be. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a case 
that I found quite interesting. And it is the case of Mr. A. Mr. A was charged with the murder of his girlfriend in August of 1985. The exact date of the homicide was not known as various parts of the dismembered body were found in plastic garbage bags throughout the county park system during an eight-day period. The head was decapitated, the trunk severed through the lower body, and the limbs sawed off below the joints. A metal plate uh, used in the treatment of an arm fracture was the only thing that led to the identification of the body. The cause of death was given as blunt trauma to the head, exsanguination due to decapitation and dismemberment. That'll do it. Yeah, I was going to say, if not the first one, second, third one, just might. So uh, they found alcohol uh, barbiturates. I'm not sure what that is, but it yeah, sounds barbiturates. bad. It's a uh, type of drug. Okay, cool. Uh, and phenytoin, phenytoin, phenytoin. I don't know what that is either. Fentanyl? No, it's no, not fentanyl. Phenytoin. Phenytoin, okay. we're present. Interesting. So their defense uh, essentially included a psychiatric um, evaluation of Mr. A's denial of any knowledge of what happened while also acknowledging that one of his other personalities, Billy Ray, might have committed the murder. The psychiatrist stated that Mr. A had such a defect of reason as to not know the nature and quality of his act, or if he did know it, he did not know right from wrong at the time. Mm. So typical criminal insanity plea. Yes. So the problems raised by such a defense are the following. Did the defendant really have a multiple personality? If he did, did it affect his behavior in such a way that the homicide occurred? How does one distinguish between an act done by a primary or host personality and an act done by an alter personality or subpersonality? Yeah. How valid is such a distinction? Mm-hmm. So with all of that, um, the first part of the uh, decedent's body was found on August 21st. On August 25th, Mr. A told a neighbor that he had spoken to his girlfriend on August 23rd. The neighbor also indicated that his girlfriend had reported uh, being chased by a knife-wielding Mr. A. Hmm. So, there's also a Mrs. A. What? Ah, there's a Mrs. A! Interesting. Yes. So, Mrs. A, uh, who was the ex-wife of Mr. A, stated that um, in, in September of 1976, Mr. A had attempted to choke her and in June of 1983 attempted to kill her with a hammer. Mrs. A also stated that her husband made her pose in the nude for pictures while she was pregnant and once made her have intercourse with him and a friend of his when she was drunk. And the ex-wife found a note dated May of 1983, which was after the hammer incident, uh, which stated, and I'm quoting this, I talked to Dr. B this morning. I don't think that it has helped much. I feel like I am being cut off at the agency, and I don't know why. It's probably me, or maybe he is showing through when I don't know it. I have been only a week and a half with only 12 hours sleep. I figure from past experiences that I will last to about the first of the month. And this was followed in large, scrawly script by, You stupid cocksucker. That is when I take over completely and finally. You don't stand a chance. Maybe I show that stupid doctor a thing or two this afternoon. Hmm. The script then returned to the prior printing. 
I must get through to Dr. D. He must know how serious the situation has become. I have an idea what he is going to do, and it's deadly to my family. In return, the large script uh, commented below, I won't let you squeal on me, stupid. I control you. You may fight it sometime, but you're not strong enough, nor will I let you get so. The statement ended in large print that said, please help me. His daughter uh, reported an incident in June of 1983 when she awoke to see her father next to the bed uh, with a hammer in his hand. He threatened the police and then picked up a Bible and started praying. Once he took a phone from her hands and hit her on the head while she was talking to a boyfriend, another time he took the back of her head and smashed her face into the bedroom mirror. Mm. Dad of the year here. Mm. A woman who dated Mr. A earlier in the year recounted that he had four personalities, one of whom was violent and that Mr. A was afraid that he might hurt her. Another indicated that she spoke to Mr. A when he was Billy Ray and that his girlfriend had told her how Billy Ray put a knife to her throat in the spring of 1985. And in April or May, his girlfriend was forced to strip naked while he ran a steak knife along her body. A male friend described Mr. A as a nice guy until he went into his split personality who would threaten to hurt people. Hmm. And this friend saw Mr. A as Billy Ray on at least nine occasions. Hmm. Um, One psychiatrist was concerned as early as 1976 about his homicide potential. Um, he, this guy had at least 17 hospitalizations since October of 1975, eight times at one hospital from 1975 to 1983. Um, his longest stay was two months. The shortest Mm. was two days. He Mm. was hospitalized twice at a state hospital, three times at a Virginia center, um, and once for eight and a half months and four times at the psychiatric unit of a general hospital. Um, And his last discharge was eight months before he committed the homicide against his girlfriend. Hmm. I'm kind of like, dude, like, what the fuck? (laughs) He bounced around all these damn places. Like, yeah. Well, that's what makes it hard to um, track somebody like that, you know. Um, But also, because what year was this? It kind of bounces around all over the place, but the murder happened in the 80s. Yeah. So that was, you know, before we had given, you know, today, and there still needs to be a lot of work done in mental health, um, particularly with the stigma of discussing mental health. But I think as a society, we're really kind of turning our attention to that. But in the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s, it was just different in that it was worse. No, I mean, it was... (laughs) (laughs) that just what it was hard to hold somebody for an extended period of time without having like a specific diagnosis that you could give them you know what I mean and dissociative identity disorder was kind of like a catch-all um for lots of different things I think and and yeah and and I think it was hard to hold somebody like that when you don't have a a label for lack of a better term to like slap on them right so that's kind of um, that's and there was a lot less work with what leads up to somebody committing a violent crime, right? Like yeah. today, we kind of have all of these things that were being worked on in the seventies and eighties when we had these, you know, a lot of murder cases, serial killer cases come from that time period because it was before we had the type of classification systems that we have now to allow us to sort of not predict behavior, but at least know who we should maybe keep an eye on. Um, right. And it's not that people don't slip through the cracks nowadays, because obviously they definitely do, but it's 
there's a lot more structure in place for, you know, mental health facilities and law enforcement to kind of be able to navigate that better. There's a at least somewhat of a roadmap. Right. Right. Um, and in the and in the case of Mr. A, so he uh, was also suicidal. Obviously, it was mm-hmm. he felt very like that. That was the only way that he could get, you know, that he could get rid of this Billy Ray mm-hmm. um, persona. So he, because he kept hearing, supposedly he kept hearing voices telling him to kill his family and do this and do that. Um, so he had several suicide attempts as well. Hmm. Um, and when they started researching into his background, he did recall, um, some sex play with a sister three years older when he was 12 or 13. And when he was 19, one brother, uh, fondled his, um, penis. Uh, this brother. Some might say genitalia. (laughs) Genitalia. Whatever. Penis (laughs) is science. Um, and that brother was actually later charged with incest with his own child. Mm. So Harry, Harry, this personality told one of his psychiatrists about being locked in a closet by his mother when he was four or five over a period of a year. Mm. And he denied sexual contact with his mother. So there was that at least, but at age seven, he was um, accused of setting a fire to bushes and at age 13 of breaking another boy's arm. Um, But he had no personal recollection of these events. Yeah. So, I mean, but obviously as the Billy Ray persona, he talked about sexual contact with both his sister and his mother. So, so one wonders, you know, which is real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, I mean, no matter which is real, it sounds like there was a history of abuse there, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So at the end of it all, in 1986, Mr. A was found not guilty by reason of insanity uh, and uh, was admitted uh, into a a center for psychiatric evaluation Mm. um, where it's noted that he kind of got a little worse. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they just noted that um, his individual therapist reported uh, the emergence of like more negative personalities mm. um, after being submitted. And so admitted. he essentially was just diagnosed, huh? Admitted. Submitted. Submitted, admitted, <laughs> whatever. It sounds like it's a paper with a deadline. <laughs> submitted. I submitted it. It's fine. Whatever, admitted. And his yeah. diagnosis was major affective disorder, bipolar with multiple personality disorder, mm. manifested by seven distinct personalities. One of which being the infamous Billy Ray, the sociopath. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I too did a case. Oh, a case. For multiple personality bum, 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 disorder bum, bum. or dissociative identity disorder, whichever one you want to call it. Whichever one. Um, D.I.D. This is actually one of, so your case was like 70s, 80s. The sentencing was in the 80s. Yes. So this is actually earlier. Um, so we're in the 40s. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm throwing it way back. We got fancy old school hats. We got women in, you know, workwear for the first time ever in history. Am I painting a clear picture for you? Are you enjoying <laughs> They're wearing it? pants? Yeah, we're wearing, uh, I, well, not pants, but just skirts that look kind of like pants. When were pants? Um, really? <laughs> the seven, I mean, well, there were, there were definitely pants. But I think, like, the time that was, like, we're fucking wearing pants was the 70s. Yeah. 
Or the 60s. Somewhat in the 60s. I 60s think. into 70s. Yeah. Uh, that's been your costume corner. Uh, <laughs> no, but we are going to talk about one of the first cases uh, where multiple personality or dissociative identity disorder became a thing, and that is the case of the lipstick killer. The, ooh, she sounds bad AF. Yeah, no, it's not somebody slaying Jeffree Star's new line. It's uh, unfortunately a very, very sad story, so buckle oh, up. Great. <laughs> Just what I wanted for 2019. Yeah. Sadness and despair. Yes. More of my life. Welcome to my autobiography. <laughs> so... The story begins on June 5th, 1945, when 43-year-old Josephine Ross was found dead in her apartment on North Kenmore Avenue in Chicago. She had been repeatedly stabbed, and her head was wrapped in a dress. She was presumed to have surprised an intruder who then killed her, and there were dark hairs uh, that were found clutched in her hand, indicating that she had fought back, that she had struggled um, before she was killed, and... Interestingly, no valuables were taken from the apartment. So it looked like maybe somebody had broken in. She had surprised them. They weren't able to steal anything, but still, you know, they murdered her and then ran off. Um, She did have a fiancé who had an alibi, as did all of her former boyfriends and her ex-husbands. And police really had no other suspects. So they were looking for somebody with dark hair who was loitering around apartments or attempting to steal from people. They didn't really have a lot to go on. So on December 10th, about six months later, uh, Frances Brown, a divorced woman, was discovered with a knife lodged in her neck and a bullet wound to her head in her apartment uh, on North Pine Grove Avenue in Chicago. Now, that's not far from where Josephine Ross lived. Um, and I don't really have an age for you. The only descriptor that I have for this woman is that she was divorced. <laughs> oh, so, oh, welcome to the 40s. Um, yeah, so... I don't have a name, but I know she was an unwed woman. Yeah, yeah. So she... Obviously, if she had a man, this wouldn't have happened to her. So she was found... uh, Yeah, if she had a man, then he would have just fucking beheaded her uh, and killed her himself. (laughs) So... Uh, Frances Brown was found by a cleaning woman who heard a radio playing loudly in her apartment and noticed that the door was partly open. Brown was, again, savagely stabbed, and authorities thought that a burglar had been interrupted again. No valuables were taken, same situation with Josephine Ross, but somebody had, in this case, written a message in lipstick on the wall of Brown's apartment, and it was presumed to be her killer that left this message. And the message read, For heaven's sake, catch me. Before I kill more, I cannot control myself. It was this message that earned... The killer, the colorful nickname, the Lipstick Killer. Okay. So about a month later, on January 7th, six-year-old Suzanne Degnan was found missing from her family home in Edgewater, an upscale neighborhood in Chicago. The only clues that were left behind were a ladder that was left by her window, along with a hastily scrawled ransom note that demanded $20,000 in cash. And the ransom note itself is really fucking weird. There's all these, like, weird capitalizations. It kind of looks like somebody trying to make an edgy screen name on AIM back in the day. Okay. Like, uh-huh. all the capitalization is super weird. There are E's in places where there shouldn't be E's. Um, are there things are misspelled. Lines There's not any tilde and stars. But... There is, like, some weird misspelling. 
So the note roughly translated to get 20,000 ready and wait for word. Do not notify FBI or police. Bills in fives and tens. Burn this for her safety. Now, if you just want to think for a second about how fucking many bills $20,000 in fives would be. Yeah. Like, absurd. That's so, it's like, in fives only. Fives and tens. Yeah, it's very weird. Fives and tens. Very weird. Um, uh, yeah, and but what the FBI found most weird about the note was the demand that it be burned for Suzanne's safety. Um, but despite the note's instructions to wait for word, there were no forthcoming demands or any conditions for the transfer of the money, only persistent phone calls to the Degnan household that would then, like, they would demand money and then abruptly hang up. And, of course, this is before we have the ability to, like, trace phone calls and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, to further complicate things, the Chicago mayor, Edward Kelly, also received a note shortly after Suzanne's kidnapping that read, This is to tell you how sorry I am not to get old Degnan instead of his girl. Roosevelt and the OPA made their own laws. Why shouldn't I? And a lot more. So, that note seems really cryptic, Mm -hmm. uh, but it actually makes sense in the context because at the time, there was a nationwide meatpackers strike, and the Office of Price Administration, which is the OPA that the note is talking about, um, was discussing extending rationing for, like, World War II to dairy products. So Degnan, Suzanne's dad, um, was Mr. Degnan, was actually a senior OPA executive and had recently transferred to the Chicago area. So another executive of the OPA had recently uh, been assigned armed guards after he received threats against his children. And in Chicago, a man involved with black market meat had recently been murdered by decapitation. So police, at this point that they get this note sent to the mayor, they're thinking that maybe the killer is a meat packer who's upset that the OPA might be cutting back on like dairy product. So there's a, a black market for meat at this is what time I get was, out yeah. of that. At this time there was, because you know, at that time we were in world war two, so everything was rationed. So you had like less obviously of everything. So that really hurt domestic markets, some domestic markets. Of course, war is always great for guns and shit. Yeah. Um, but for the meat packers, it kind of sucked because you know, they weren't able to operate as... So how did the fudge packers pair out? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How'd they do during this time? I was fucking trying to make it intelligent. <laughs> you just kept yet. saying meat packers, and I just kept... It was there, so I had to let it out. I'm yeah. sorry. It's okay. It's all right. I'm over it now. It's okay. I'm glad you moved past it. <laughs> so... At this point, Suzanne's father, uh, Mr. Degnan, Mr. James Degnan, um, is becoming increasingly desperate. He played a really big role in trying to find his missing daughter. He ex- uh, appeared extensively on uh, radio programs, begging for her safety and begging anybody, even the kidnappers, to come forward with some kind of information, all to no avail. So several days later, acting on an anonymous tip, Police discovered Suzanne's head in a sewer that was about a block from the Degnan residence. Mm. Her right leg was found in a catch basin, her torso in another storm drain, and her left leg was in yet another drain. Her arms were found a month later in another sewer. 
Blood was found in the drains of laundry tubs in the basement of a laundry room of a nearby apartment building, and it seemed that she had been strangled first and then dismembered with a hunting knife. Fuck. Yeah. So the coroner, Coroner Brody, fixed her time of death at between 1230 and 1 a.m. on the night that she was taken and stated that a very sharp knife had been used to expertly dismember the body. The site was later found to be the basement laundry room where they found all the blood um, right near the Degman's home. However, it was determined that Suzanne was already dead when she was taken to that room. So she, when she was strangled, that's when she died, and mm-hmm. then she was dismembered post-mortem. Ah. It wasn't like that happened while she was still alive. Got it. Um, so the coroner's expert stated that the killer was either a man who worked in a profession that required the study of anatomy or one with a background in dissection because not even the average doctor could be as skillful. It had to be a meat cutter Mm. because of the way that she was dismembered. Um, Brody, the Dr. Brody, the coroner also concurred with that idea, adding that it was a very clean job with absolutely no signs of hacking. No signs of hacking. Not at all. Not one. So Didn't see it. At this point, you know, that kind of lends credence to the meatpacker theory. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the police are thinking. That's where they start going. They're like, okay. Right. This is where our killer's going to be. Right. Right. At the meatpacking plant. Yes. I need you to to hit meat a little less hard. (laughs) Meat packing plant. Meat packing plant. Cool. Meat. Keep working on it. (laughs) (laughs) So in February of 1946, Suzanne Degnan's arms were found by sewer workers about half a mile from her home after the rest of her remains had been interred. And by April, the police had already talked to 370 suspects. Fuck! And cleared them all. 370? 370. They were talking to everybody. And I didn't include... There's a couple different... um, If you dig into this case, there's a couple different suspects that they looked at. um, And it was really interesting the way... The different ways that the suspects arose and the different ways that they kind of fit into the whole idea that, you know, this is somebody... um, The different ways that they fit the profile that the police had. Of course, this is before FBI profiling, but it's, it's... that's kind of interesting, but it was too much for us to get into on the podcast. Um, but if you're interested in it, that's kind of a cool like way to go down. It was a little bit of a whodunit, but the police talked to a ton of people about this case. Um, and they just couldn't... At the same time, you know, you have the family who's talking with the media and like putting out requests for people to, you know, come forward with information. And when you do that, it is helpful for families to like keep trying to find their missing loved one. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when that sort of thing is happening, there are tons and tons and tons of leads coming through the door and the police end up talking to a ton of people. Yeah. um, A lot of whom aren't connected with the case at all um, and turn out to be false leads. So the case, uh, the police are working their asses off. You know, the family is, you know, begging for people to come forward, but nothing happens for six months. Until, on June 26th, 17-year-old William Hirons was arrested on attempted burglary charges when someone saw him breaking into an apartment. Hirons, who had been in and out of incarceration for a variety of crimes, 
um, looked like he could be um, a good suspect for this, right? Because we have, you know, the two earlier murders, it looked like the situation was that a burglar was in the house and the burglar was interrupted and so he, you know, killed. Yeah. So police search his dorm room and they found, in addition to many pieces of Nazi regalia, several items that seemed to have belonged to Suzanne Degnan's home. So Hiram was brought, Hirons was brought in and uh, he was questioned on the, on the Suzanne Degnan case. And during questioning, which allegedly relied heavily on police brutality as well as copious use of sodium pentothal, which we know is truth serum, colloquially. Mm. Um, it was discovered that Hirons was responsible for at least three killings in the Chicago area, yet he claimed that a man named George Merman was the one who had done all of the killings. George Merman? George Merman. I don't like the sound of that name. Yeah. George Merman sounds like he's a killer. So Sorry for any George Mermans out there. <laughs> right. George Merman is sitting there and he's like sharpening his hunting knife as we speak, Mm -hmm. listening to our Mm -hmm. podcast. And he goes over to his laptop, types in Expedia.com and (laughs) gets a ticket. Rents a car. And goes for DC. Hey, come to the live show. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The perfect Uh, ad. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... You know, Hirons is talking about this George Merman guy, uh, and police do look into it, but they can't find any evidence of any such person, and they obviously can't bring this person in for questioning because they can't confirm that he exists. He exists. (laughs) So despite this lack of progress, Hirons continues to claim very, like, ardently that Merman um, was indeed a real person. And because of the way that Hirons kind of like mumbled the name when he originally said George Merman, um, the media seized on that and called it Murder Man. Merman. Yeah. Merman. Murder Man. Murder Man. Yeah. Uh, That's weird. (laughs) No. So (laughs) Hirons claimed that uh, Merman was a really bad person and that he had met George when he was 13 years old. And that George liked to kill or rob for pleasure. Indeed, Hiram claimed that he was always... Let me cut that indeed. So Hiram's claimed that he met George when he was 13 years old and that George was a very bad man who liked to kill and rob for pleasure. And he said that he was always blamed for George's crimes and misdeeds and that he was always the one taking the rap for them uh, first for petty theft and then for assault and now for murder it soon became apparent to detectives that george merman was not real at all but rather a multiple personality of hirons and police suspected that he was deliberately trying to lay the foundation for an insanity plea so the police kind of saw that multiple personality thing developing Mm. and they were like "Mm, we're calling bullshit So, bullshit. Was there an officer that just stood up and said, bullshit? Probably. probably. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, Suspicious. Suspicious. (laughs) So, in the meantime, the press is going absolutely 
fucking insane on the murder man story. They ate Hiren's confession up and made Hiren's out to be some type of real life version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, psychologists explained at the time that in the same way children make up imaginary friends, Hiren's had made up this personality to keep his antisocial feelings and actions separate from the person who could be the average son and student and date nice girls and go to church and all that stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the the media's uh, involvement in this is really the first time that we see them digging into the whole multiple personality thing and really like blowing it completely out of proportion, um, in my opinion, at least. So despite his, Hiram's adamant claims of his innocence, he was sentenced to life in prison, and there has been a debate ever since as to the... Uh, I guess, uh, legitimacy of his confession um, and his guilt and whether there was really an alter ego behind the crimes. Hmm. Um, the thing about this case, because it does, it has so many elements to it, it does have the personal, multiple personality disorder um, element, but it also has that element of pr- police brutality because this is a time when um, there were not, I mean, obviously we still have issues with police brutality today, um, but there were not the regulations, really the regulations in place to keep, you know, nowadays you can't beat the shit out of a suspect and then get a confession from him or her and consider that and for that to be like, right. um, legitimate, right. It's inadmissible. Yeah. Um, sodium pentothal has also been, I, I'm pretty sure in every state uh, sodium yeah. pentothal is not allowed anymore. Yeah. Um, the truth serum, um, it's, that's not a legitimate confession yeah. which makes sense because you can't fucking drug people yeah. up and, and neither are them things like lie detector tests like all of that right. is like yeah you can't use that yeah i think polygraphs are still done but i don't but think they're, they're admissible they're, they're in court not admissible. yeah no. it's more of a novelty yeah so um well i think it's more of a bargaining chip you know because you can lean into a suspect with a lie detector test mm. especially if they come from a um a less well-to-do area and maybe have poorer education. Um, but not you guys, because you listen to The Haunted Heart, so. It's not you. Uh, lie detectors are inadmissible in court. <laughs> uh, we are not lawyers. Please don't listen to any legal advice from us. No, don't. So on March 5th, 2012, Hirons died at age 83 at the UIC Medical Center from complications arising from diabetes. And that was the end of Mr. Hirons as well as George Merman. So it was the diabetes that got him in the end. It was. It was Wilford Brimley. <laughs> it was. Yeah, so, and the reason that I, that other than that being one of the big cases that kind of, one of the big early cases that involved multiple personality disorder, to me, that case kind of illustrates, despite the issues that it definitely has as far as police brutality go and forced confessions, um, to me, it illustrates my personal view on multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder, which is that it's real sticky. Um, a lot of psychologists don't think that it's a legitimate um, clinical diagnosis anymore. Um, I happen to think that a lot of dissociative identity disorder patients are actually schizophrenics, Mm. um, some bipolar, uh, but mostly schizophrenics who don't know 
who maybe are presenting differently than traditional schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, but it's very dicey. Um, so, and it is used very often, um, not as much anymore, but people will lean into that as like, like the, like in the case of Hiren's laying the groundwork for an insanity plea. Right. And then you get instances like in my case, though, where you've had someone who has struggled with this for a long time, Mm -hmm. like since childhood, and you see, you know, them not remembering these instances of like being super aggressive and then ultimately committing an act. And so there's like a track record there of crazy as opposed to it just sort of um, uh, folding out. when the suspect is caught. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do think that there's a difference there, but also, I mean, all of the things from the case of Mr. A that we're hearing about, like him not remembering and him not recalling, that's all his word. You know what I mean? I mean, you could question me about something that happened in my past and we could come up with it and I could be like, oh, well, I just don't remember that. Yeah. And maybe I do and maybe I don't. Maybe I'm lying because I want an insanity defense. But so it's just very hard because it's, it's, it's all based off of what this person says. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I think my thoughts, my personal thoughts on it, again, I would have to agree that it's pretty dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in today's world where you really can't put it past somebody to, um, you know, try to use that as a defense. Mm-hmm. But I think it's possible. I do agree that it can happen. Um, Now, definitely not how, like, it's portrayed in the media. Like we said at the top of the episode, like, Split is such a, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, But that's very, um, that's not factual. Right. It's a movie. (laughs) It's a movie. Um, So I do think certain, I do think that it can happen. I sat and, you know, watched several videos uh of people and the switch is really interesting. Like the moment that it happens, um, mm-hmm. it's a little unnerving actually. Yeah. Um, there was one lady, which was actually really funny, but, um, her, uh, she's an artist and she has like something of like, I think like 20 something personalities that she, mm. that she lives with. And one of them is named Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> and and um, she says that Ken, she was like, he's a guy. He's a gay guy. And he likes to draw pictures pictures of trains. But none of his pictures look like trains, so I don't know why he does that. <laughs> and I just kind of related. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can relate. I can relate. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that it can happen. But um, if you had a personality, multiple personalities, <laughs> what would it be? I'm curious. If I did? Yeah. Oh, what I thought you were you... asking listeners. Well, no. Um, well, yes. If I had a multiple personality, mm. I think it would be easier. I think it'd be better for you to answer that question. For, for you? Me. For me to for answer that to, question? Yeah, for okay. us to answer it for each other. So if I think your personality, your other personality. You sound like you came prepared for me to do that. And I just want to let everybody no, know that totally, we didn't plan no, it. No, it's totally off the cuff. Okay. Um, Dive in. I appreciate that enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think your alter ego uh, would definitely, definitely be a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> 
thanks i think I, guess? She, I think i think it would be a murderer i think it would be a man a man i think you would have a male alter ego i think i would be your alter ego <laughs> we get into a weird place now where we reveal Wait. that there's only one person hosting this <gasps> oh podcast oh my gosh talk about the true twist and, and it's just there's just one one person. No, I think you would definitely have a male alter ego. And you think he would he would hurt others? Nah, oh, that was no. a joke. No, but I think okay. he would be very. What impressive. kind of man would he be? Would he be like a strapping man, or would he be like a I think he'd rakish be, intellectual? No, or would he be nerdy? I think he'd be like a, a, a be he's gonna fuck you up type of man. Okay. like kind of uh, definitely big, big tree of a man. He'd okay. fuck you up. Okay. That turns me on a little bit. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Mm. But not like, but still nice. Okay. But will also fuck you up. Girl, do you have his number? Because it sounds like I want to date him. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more about you, Mr. Man. Um, yeah. Uh, that might be the only way I can keep a man is to just have one live inside me. Um <clears throat> Moving on. Uh, if you had an alternate personality, I feel like I feel like it would be like Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> what the fuck? Like she would be big and loud and like militant and very into pink. She would um she would have pillows with sayings on them. Oh. <gasps> Mm-hmm. Um, not to disparage that, but she would have like a room of them. <laughs> she would wear slingbacks. <gasps> um, she would not get her petties. <gasps> so she'd have that crusty heel on the oh. slingback. Either that or she would be like a really, really tan, really, really like um, in need of a moisturizer, like bleach blonde lady in her like fifties or sixties, who's really fucking active, who like wears spandex suits and like <laughs> rides bikes. Did you just imagine me in a spandex suit riding a bike and drinks like green smoothies? And she's just like really into it. And she has like that look that she's been like kind of like a raisin. If a raisin mm -hmm. was a person, she's got like the 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 leather neck going on. Yeah. Yep. Definitely of the that. Over tanning. Actually, I think that. I think that. I think Dolores Umbridge is still a little too close to to who I also <laughs> who, am. who we are. <laughs> no, I fucking can't stand uh, Dolores Umbridge. But one thing that I also cannot stand is an active middle-aged woman. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, the messaging in this show. God Almighty, Jesus Christ, let it oh. end. <laughs> all right and with that uh you can find us on social media on instagram we are at the haunted heart podcast on twitter we are at the haunted heart uh feel free to check out the patreon it's www.patreon.com slash the haunted heart if you think we do a good job and you want to support us and get all kinds of bonus content along with special merch offers um feel free to join our crew there and get us to that next goal so that we can give you guys more episodes. I believe you were referring to the heathen temple. I am. Notice how I didn't say it this episode because I kept fucking it up in the last episode. Now I'm scared <laughs> to say it. Um, 
you should also find us on Facebook. Um, <laughs> what? That was so weird. She's like, you can also find us. But, you can. I mean, you but can. But you should. Like, if you wanna. You need to find us. I don't us wanna pressure on you Facebook. too much. I don't wanna, like, pressure you into it. I no, want, but for real, you need to, like, get into it. I if want you're not, you to know. Get into it. Uh, consent. Um, no, so uh, you can find our page, The Haunted Heart, if you will go give that a like. And then our group is The Haunted Heart Podcast. If you request to join, we will preview. It's a private group. The reason it's private is so that everybody else in your life doesn't have to see all the weird shit that you're into. Um, so we do that for your privacy. But if you request to join, we'll let you join. We're on there. We're both super active. Mm-hmm. So if you want to chat, if you want to hit us up, or any of our personalities, because we've got a lot on there. To hop on there. We've got like 240-something personalities. Yeah. We do. <laughs> we do. Um, and a lot of them are really fucking cool. So uh, make sure you join us there um, so that you can be part of that conversation. And I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, be sure to check out the live show January 11th, 2019, if you want to join us there. It's sure to be a lot of fun. Um, once we know uh, who all is going to... Um, plan on on joining we'll try to do a little meetup afterwards where we can just hang out with you guys specifically um and that'll be cool yeah so until then you know what you fucking gotta do today tomorrow next week and for all of 2019 you gotta stay stay spooky. spooky